Welcome to a special episode of They Live By Film. Adam here just giving a really quick introduction to the episode, which sees Chris sit down with Phil Escott, the founder and president of Fractured Visions. Hope you enjoy. Okay, uh, very, very lucky to be joined today by Philip Escott. Uh, I, I found out about Philip through Fractured Visions, the, the boutique Blu-ray uh, just, you know, kind of distribution company, which we'll get into shortly. But as I dug into you a little bit more, Philip, I saw you're a filmmaker, uh, a film, I think you said uh, kind of like a film nerd encompasses that, but you turned it into a career. seems like you have an expertise in kind of helping with special features. Uh, you run a film festival. It feels like there's nothing that you really don't do in this world. So thank you so much for joining. No, it's my pleasure, Chris, and thank you for having me on. And yeah, I have a big film nerd hat, many of them. That's great. Uh, what was first for you out of this whole long list of things that you're really good at now? Oh, well, I wouldn't say I'm exactly good at any of them, to be honest, like a, a master of none type thing. But <laughs> I started off, actually, uh, the filmmaking was the, that was the goal, that was the ambition to be a filmmaker. And that's really hard. <laughs> and so along the way, once the, the filmmaking thing proved to be rather challenging, I started doing side sort of gigs, which was camera operating. So I used to camera operate on like low budget films. Um, I'm sure you know them, The Asylum. Do you remember yeah, that? Sure. that production company? So yeah, I was uh, camera operating on a bunch of stuff that they shot here in Wales. Okay. And then that led into getting into the DVD and Blu-ray extras as a camera operator, which progressed into producer, which then progressed into distribution company owner while still trying to become a filmmaker while doing all that. And, and specifically in, I think I read 2016 is when you decided to kind of start a film festival and you adopted the name Fractured Visions, right? Yeah. So it actually started off as just a, a film thing. Again, I just want to show films that I loved in the cinema. So a bunch yeah. of film nerds here in Cardiff could get together and watch cult things. So the first one we did was a, a double bill of blood, Bloody Moon and Pieces. So wow. if you know those films, that kind of gives you an insight into the type of things I enjoy as a spectator. Did you have to work with Grindhouse on the print on the on the um, reels for Pieces? Oh no, uh, it was DCP. So it wasn't oh. actually thirty-five mil or anything like that. It was all digital. Uh, much much less expensive that way. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You can download everything. It's much easier. Um, well, the other reason I was asking about Grindhouse is because the, the thing I did forget to mention, I knew I forgot something. There's also a podcast that uh, I don't think you particularly host, but it seems like it's under your label. Uh, and the guests on that show have been amazing. Yeah, that's my, my boy, Luke Bailey. He's part of the, the team. And yeah, he's, he's from a podcast background. And his, his sort of first love was music. So he's been doing music podcasts for, for decades now. But he's also a big film nerd like myself, and yeah, he's a, a good friend, and he he's part of the the company and the the festival, and yeah, he's way way cooler than me when it comes to podcasts, and he kind of heads that up. Well, it's I mean, for anybody who's listening, it's called Fractured Listens, and the guests are it's just like it's incredible. Like Jack Hill, you sit down with Lloyd Kaufman, Michael Berryman, I think was the recent one. It's just nuts. I was reading these names, every single one of them. I wanted to listen to, I'm going to, I just subscribed. So I'm going to be following y'all now, uh, following oh, Luke, I guess. Thank you. So yeah, that's Luke's baby. I mean, he's just like us, man. He's, he's big into his cult cinema and he's got the connections to, to real in talent like that. 
that's amazing. Uh, what is the, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to jump into, but just really quickly on Wales. Why, what, what does the film seem like in, in Wales when you started this? So uh, you, you had an idea to go get some friends together and watch this double bill. Um, where did it kind of start and what, how, what has it grown to? Like, is this something that people really kind of were drawn to? So the monthly showings, like we still keep them going, but there was a bit of momentum behind it. Like people were interested in them. And we just thought if they're interested in the old stuff, maybe they'd be interested in the, the new future cult classics. So we put yeah. on the, the festival and yeah, that proved out to be a success as well. So we kept that going. And yeah, it all just comes down to wanting to share my love of genre films, essentially, which is pretty much everything I, I kind of do through the label, through the festival, through the showings, through the podcast. It's all about sharing the love. So uh, that, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I have a similar passion and it's interesting. We sat down a little bit, a lot, not too long ago with, uh, are you familiar with a guy named Jesse? He runs Diabolic DVD. I am, yes, yes indeed. And he also started with a film festival. So it seems like there's something in the water here where genre film festivals just turn into good things for the people that are willing to put the time in to create them. Um, uh, the, uh, th there's another interesting uh, connection I was gonna ask you about between you and Jesse as well. Not that I'm trying to necessarily connect y'all, but I just thought this was interesting. So the first film that he put out, there's a label that he created called Cauldron. And the first film he put out was a Sergio Martino film. Yeah, and Rachel, right, American Rachel. That's right. And mm -hmm. I saw the first Fractured Visions film is American uh, is, is a Martino film, excuse me, silent action. And so I'm just curious, what is it about Martino? I, I personally love him. I think I, I mean, I, I think I share similar tastes to you. So we could probably talk about genre cinema, you know, the rest of the day here. But uh, from a you know commercial side and from a thinking about what to release on disc, what is it about Martino that's interesting to you? Uh, for me, he's he's that filmmaker that I I, th I thought I discovered by my own, but is it bullshit, really? I, I'm not the first guy to have discovered Martino growing up because everyone knows like Giro Argento and Fulci and Lenzi. Yeah. But me, I, I remember finding Torso and like no one ever discussed Torso in like the social circuit in high school. I found that film. I was like, damn, this is a great film. Who's the director? Sergio Martino. And he's kind of just stuck with me since I feel like I discovered him. So he's my boy. You know that, uh -huh. but so starting the label was like the first film got to be a Martino film, just as he was so important to me. I like it was the only logical place to start. Uh, I mean that's amazing. I'm so glad you did. And 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 by the way, you you were you were kind of said you know humbly you said I don't know if I'm good at any of them. I totally disagree. That release is amazing. So you found it. It kind of became as, as I saw the film. The film is great. It's definitely a Martino film. It's got a ton of exposition. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it's got like this crazy action sequences thrown in and it's a nice twist. I enjoyed the film. But then as it ended, I felt like there was so much respect paid towards Martino as well as the actor, Thomas Milian, in the, in the features. I, and I have to imagine that was intentional when you put that together, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, man. Uh, coming from like the Blu-ray background, I felt... If I show up with a, a half-assed product, I'm just going to make myself look like a dick. So it's was, it was kind of like trying to take it back to the old school days of um, Anchor Bay when they were in their prime. Like you yeah. grab an Anchor Bay DVD, it's like, oh shit. Like you know you're in for like a night of fun with an Anchor Bay DVD. So he's trying to go back to that sort of mentality. 
I love that. Do, it, it, this is a, a bit of a, a random callback here, but did you ever get the Anchor Bay tins that they put out, those limited edition Oh, for tins? sure, man. Yeah, the Beyond, the um, Maniac, and the yeah. Living Dead of Manchester Morgue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Morgue. Awesome. <laughs> I've got, I'm, I don't, I'm not in my, uh, I had to put my collection back in my baby's room, but um, uh, I've got all of them. That was one of the things I'm just going to hold on to them over the years. I, 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 there's like 10 or 12 of them total. Yeah, man. And, uh, it's, but it's so funny looking back at them now. It's like a limited edition. It's like, you'll have number like 33,000 or 50,000. Like, damn, that was a limited edition? 50,000 units? Shit. I know. And they sold out. Yeah. It's and crazy. they sold out. Yeah, there is big money in that. And the, the one that always cracks me up is the Wicker Man. You know, they had to go find a wooden box and somehow, you know, make 50,000 or whatever that number is of these little limited wooden boxes. So that was a project for somebody back in 2001 or whatever. True that. I remember that one, man. Yeah. They had the, the, you lift up like the wooden slat at the front, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, you... Yeah, I, I just wanted to call attention to how good the release was because, you know, it's interesting. There, there's kind of this thing happening with a lot of Region B releases right now where it seems like some of the new players coming in, I think Second Sight, if you don't mind me calling out other people that are doing it, Second Sight has this reputation of everything they deliver is kind of perfection. And, and they don't, you know, it's not necessarily these high numbers, but the quality is, is impeccable. And at least from the first three releases from you, I feel like you're, you're right there with them. You're just kind of running right alongside them. Well, thank you. I produce a lot of the second side stuff. So that's um, <laughs> when the, the labels I work with outside of Fractured Visions. So I've been working yeah. with them since in Bruges. So going back about three years. No so, way. So I yeah. love that. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of that is uh, all the extras and stuff I produce. That, that, that explains it then, because it just, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say they have a similar feel, because obviously it's, it's, it's a different, you know, brand and color scheme and label and everything, but it just felt like a similar care and everything. So that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Thank you. And no, Chris Holden, who runs Second Sight, he's a huge influence on me because, yeah, he is a perfectionist. Like his dedication to those releases is like, like nothing I've ever seen. So it's a, an absolute honor to work with that guy. And yeah, he's been a, a big inspiration on how I run the label as well. Well, that's good. Well, I'm glad I brought it up then. Uh, it's a nice connection. And just at a high level, are, are they selling well for you? Are you glad you, you dipped your toe in the game so far? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, okay, for me, it was never the Fracture Vision stuff was never about <laughs> making money. I mean, it was like, I just want to release films that haven't been released, like films I've loved. And I don't know why they hadn't been released previously. But it's like, well, yeah. I'm in a humble position where I can actually do it. So, what the hell? Give it a go. And it's been going well so far so could be a good option that's great and and so you have uh, Sergio Martino was number one and and I apologize I don't know the name of the director for Luz off the top of my head um and then uh, and then Umberto Lenzi was number three that's right uh, so, so it seems like you're getting really into the heavy hitters here do you, can you talk at all about what's coming up next uh yeah so it's going to be a bit of detour from Italian exploitation so next up is French art house so Bruno Dumont's 29 Palms which was an experimental oh, horror film from like 2003. Which is yeah, yeah, a I remember that. gnarly film, right? So it's gonna, it's a Marmite film, I know, but it's one I've always, always loved since its original release. So it stuck with me. I, oh gosh, you know, this is funny. Okay, wait a minute. I know this is almost 20 years ago now, but it was really controversial when it came out, right? Yeah. So he's like a high flying 
new sort of French auteur. He made uh, The Life of Jesus, which did well at Cannes. Then he did Humanité, which did even better at Cannes. He won like the Grand Prix Award. And then he just decided to make this really gnarly horror film. And everyone was like, what the fuck have you done, Bruno? <laughs> just like railroaded your career. But oh. I, now it's, it's a film that you can look back on and think, oh shit, he's actually saying something that's pertinent now that people weren't discussing back then, which is toxic masculinity. Okay, so it, can we take a quick pause there? Because I think this is an interesting topic um, and I can't wait to buy 29 Palms. But I guess before we move on, when is that tentatively coming out? Is that going to be first half or second half? Uh, so I've literally just put in the, the last subtitles together for the extras and I got a, an audio commentary coming in next weekend. And then that's all the extras done. There's off to authoring, and I'm still working on the booklet at the moment, but fingers crossed, I'm hoping for an April-May release. Great. We're taking a family vacation to the UK in May, uh, in April, excuse me, so oh, if any luck, I can go to a physical store and pick it up. Uh, yeah, true, go to HMB. <laughs> unless you want me to do the online store, because I'm sure it's better for you if I, if, if I go there, but... It is, yeah, um, true. <laughs> maybe I'll just do that instead. <laughs> um, okay, but, but I wanted to touch on this really quick. So I think because I've been fascinated by this, and I try to ask people this question as I, as I you know, uh, talk to them that are really into genre film. Because I think there's a misconception that people watch genre films for the, the nastiness, right? Um, which may be true to a certain extent. But the other thing that's, I think, equally true in a lot of these films is that they're typically trying, there's typically a message, and I would say most genre films, they're not typically done just for the sake of nudity or violence or, or, or whatever, right, that's in them. There's typically something behind them. So, you know, I'd be curious, number one, if you're open to just kind of sharing how you define a genre film, like, if, like what does that kind of mean to you? And then also, well, that's, that's it for now. Then let's, I, there's, there's some more behind that, but. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's an interesting question as genre is so broad. I mean, it can encapsulate everything. 29 Palms is apparently a horror movie, but for 90% of the movie, nothing happens. <laughs> so it's like, is it really a horror film or is it a drama? But because the final 10% of the movie is absolutely terrible, it's like, no, it's a, it's a horror film because a drama can't be that brutal and nasty. But then yeah. at the same time, you can have horror films that go out of their way to be shocking and terrible and they end up becoming boring because they're just trying to throw things in your face. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a fine line, I think, genre, because genre is, I think, it's, yeah, it's a, a set of rules you have to abide by. So sure, genre does exist, but I don't give it much weight, to be honest. I mean, genre is so many different things. So yeah, for me, I like to think it's just good fun. If you've got a genre film, it means it's fun. But at the same time, a genre film could be way more than that. I mean, look at Dawn of the Dead. I mean, yes, it's a genre film, but things are masterpiece. And it's saying so much about consumerism. So it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to really answer, my man. I mean, genre is, <laughs> it's what you want it to be, really. I think it's, I've always kind of used it as a way of describing films that for me, um, are maybe a little bit extreme for people that are just just to casually sit down and watch like I I might not watch it with my wife who's into more you know kind of softer romantic stuff or you know whatever there's usually some element in it that's a little tougher uh, a little bit more kind of obscure or or, or violent um, but it is 
I think as I got deeper and deeper into film, I, I, I've been directed more towards either uh, slow cinema, which is something I've kind of developed a passion for, or genre film, which it's weird that those two are kind of connected. Like, I don't think there's any connection between the two, but it's kind of like if I'm in for a slow cinema movie, like I'll, I'll sit down and I'll, I'm ready for it. Or, or, but sometimes to relax, I'll just throw in a genre film. And there's, there's something in the, you know, like, like a great example for me in, in silent action is how it's this highly political, highly kind of philosophical discussion that's happening. Um, uh, and then all of a sudden there's this, you know, 10 minute sequence of kind of like Rambo style, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> motorbike chase. <laughs> yeah, motorbike, and they're breaking into a military compound. And like, there's all this stuff going on and it feels like, that element in there that's kind of thrown in sometimes it's a little bit nasty or a little bit kind of over the top and violent but it it sort of makes it fun and and, and something that i you know i don't know i like I, I can relax to in a strange way yeah same and going with freehand for a tough cop i mean it's a buddy cop movie which is a genre of itself but at the same time it's still dealing with <clears throat> something that was happening a lot in italy in the 70s which was kidnappings so it's dealing with these heady real life subjects, but at the same time, it's kind of fun and comedic. Yeah, it somehow makes it more palatable or something. I, even in horror films, a lot of the stuff where, like if you look at like Peter Jackson's early movies or something where they're just batshit crazy, or actually no, a great example. One of the people on y'all's podcast I've, I've always loved kind of secretly is Larry Fessenden. Yeah. Uh, you know, his movies are wild, but, but there's always something meaty kind of behind them. Yeah, he seems like a highly intelligent person. Yeah, and I think that's the, the fine line, I guess, in the getting your genre demands there. So you need like your, your action, your murder set pieces, but also if you can shoehorn in a bit of like, you know, social awareness, then like Romero through and through, you're doing a good job. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so, so you're, you're based in Wales and you're, most of your uh, production is, I'm sure, happened in, you know, somewhere in Europe or, or in Mexico or whatever. But where's your distribution center? Uh, so that's in the UK as well. UK? So in England, yeah. And I know in the US that they have this company called uh, MVD, which does a lot of, it handles a lot of the distribution for companies that want to come into the US. Is there a similar type of setup um, in, in the UK for kind of like one company that manages a lot of the warehousing and logistics? Yeah, they're called uh, Trinity Partnership. Okay. So they're the, the UK equivalent. Okay. And then well, so you have Arrow cool. as well, who help a bunch of labels. So they'll represent like uh, Terracotta and stuff like that. Oh, no way. Oh, okay, interesting. Because they just got bought up by, uh, was it the Hut Group or something like that? They did, yeah. Right? And so is that how, is that, that so is, is it the HUD group that's kind of offering those services or is it more related to Arrow? Yeah, so they would have just uh, incorporated that into them. So they would have had whatever Arrow had going on. So they just took it all. Interesting. Well, it shows that there's money in it. Um, I guess if they, if they were able to do that, at least something. Um, okay, so w when you go and you said that you're dealing with sales agent, that's kind of interesting to me. So when you go and talk to, when you say, I want to go get a Martino film, you're not talking to his estate. There's somebody, there's a sales agent who's representing, is it him specifically, or is it sort of like, you know, Italian cinema or like, like what, what level are you going down to for that? So it all depends on the production company. So whoever Martina was working for, which is mostly his brother Luciano. So chances are it's a Dania Films production. And so Dania more than often represented by Variety Communications. So they're the ones who own a whole catalog of Italian films. 
but there's a, a bunch of sales agents that deal exclusively with Italian films like Minerva, Surf, Rewind. So they're the, the big four who have most of the titles that cult fans would be looking for. Oh, and so you just go to them and kind of figure out what's been remastered, what's available. So yeah, you just ask them for um, a list of available titles and they'll, they'll shoot them over and they'll tell you if there's HD versions or if there's uh, no HD versions, if there's 4K versions, 2K versions. And then if there's nothing, you can work with them to create a new master, but it costs a lot of money. So that's why the bigger companies yeah, yeah, tend yeah. to do that. Um, okay. And so that's, that's nice to hear that it's, it's sort of refined at this point. And then the next step is, so once you get the rights, you figure all that out, you, you acquire the rights. Um, are, you, are you, because you're running a festival, are you also getting the rights for theatrical? Are you thinking in those terms? Uh, so with the, the more modern films that I acquire, yes, theatrical for sure, because it'd be great to get some of these films up theatrically in little indie cinemas. Mm -hmm. But for the older films, there's not as much demand theatrically. So I'm mostly happy with just physical, but uh, Porsche would be digital and physical. Digital, okay, so streaming as well. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you have to go build special features. And I don't want you to give away too much of your secret sauce because it seems like you have a business there as well. But just in general, are, is it just, are you literally just reaching out to folks and being like, hey, I'm putting out this movie. Do you want to speak on it? Uh, yeah, pretty much. And then it's uh, a case of, uh, organizing the the shoot, which is where your producer hat comes in. So you go get the talent to a studio. You go get hair and makeup to a studio. You got to it's like a miniature little film set, basically. Wow, that's crazy. And how long does that process usually take? Like you acquire the rights to a film, you look at the master, you figure out, okay, here's kind of it's going to take me two months to get the you know looking nice or whatever. And then from there, how long does it take to get the special features together and, and record it? Um, oh, it all depends, really, man. Uh, sound action. And Freehand for Tough Cop, I acquired in the September of 2020. And Sound Action was out in the April 21, as that was the first one I wanted to do. Freehand then took a few more months. That came out in the November of last year. So from acquiring those two, one was out within like eight months. The other one was 13, 14 months. So, wow. yeah, there's no... <laughs> no set rhyme or reason for it at the moment anyway and you don't have a formal spine system but at least the catalog it, I, I mean it seems like it could kind of be you treated like a spine um yeah I, so, I know the people have these numbered spines but for me i was i was a bit cautious of that because a i was dealing with modern and old films and i know if there's people only interested in the older films They'd be like, oh, I only got one, seven, three, two, nine. But, <laughs> but if you're not into the modern stuff, you like, they want people to feel they had to buy them purely because of that sort of OCD. Like, I need that number. I don't really like the film, but I have to have it because that number is on the spine. So I was thinking with my collector's hat on. That's, uh, that's really kind of you. That, that shows that <laughs> you're doing this for, I guess, I don't want to say the right reasons. That might be disparaging, but to other folks. But it seems like you're doing it really just to get these films out and, and get them in the hands of people. That's awesome. Um, how are, are you at a point now where people are sending in requests like, hey, can you do this film? Can you do this film? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, there's, and I, I welcome it, man, because, yeah, I, I love these films as much as, as you guys. So seeing like which ones you really want is, is eye-opening because 
they tend to be the films I want. <laughs> so, You're like, so, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Reinforcement, yeah, positive reinforcement. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. So keep sending them in. Um, and you, you, you mentioned that you're a collector yourself, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, so what, how did you kind of get started in collecting? Oh, I just I misspent youth, man. Uh, VHS. So <laughs> I'd save my, my lunch money and then skip school and then go to this little flea market in, you know, at the, set, the city centre here in Cardiff where they didn't care how old you were. As long as you had money, they'd sell you the tapes. And so, yeah, I'd uh, skip school, go into the city centre, buy a VHS, go home, watch it. And yeah, trying to hide those from my parents was tough, especially when you, you start off with like three, then you got 17, then next thing you know, you got 130. <laughs> so it's like, what are all of these under your bed, Phil? Like, nah, I can explain everything. <laughs> scene by scene, because I've seen them all 10 times. Exactly. Um, so it's just spiraled uh, from there. That's awesome. What was the kind of movies that you were in uh, back then? Like, were you, have you always been into more of the- Yeah, horror all day, yeah. So. Back, back in the, the mid '90s, it was always Vipco. I'd be on the hunt for Vipco titles. So they're the uh, the VHS label here that would pick up a lot of the Italian exploitation and the video nasties. So they was at the good and stuff. How did you discover that back then? Was it? Did you have catalogs, or how are you? How are you discovering all these? No, no. Back then, man, they had video stores that were quite big, and there was a, more than just one on the high street. There was like three or four. So you could go to Virgin. You could go to HMV, you could go to Music Zone and NBC, all these other sort of uh, video outlets. And yeah, so you just spend all day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I grew up uh, in London, actually, in, in the in the late 80s, early 90s, I was living in London. And then in the mid uh, late 90s, I was in Indonesia. And my favorite thing, uh, Singapore was just like a, a, an hour flight. And you is we we it was you know, people went there for a lot of different reasons medical just a lot of different reasons you would kind of go there because it was so close, and my favorite thing was they had a four story HMV there, nice and it was amazing because I was also into music growing up and they had a they had a punk section, and they had a massive horror section for movies it was crazy like like you said I could easily have just wandered those aisles for for all day like it was the best mm -hmm. babysitter. <laughs> um but uh anyways that's okay so you got so you were always into that um was there is there a particular kind of genre you go to to relax uh yeah giallo movies i'm a big giallo, giallo. fan yeah man so yeah I'll, I'll check on a martino giallo just unwind like wait my my favorite is controversial but it's um taste of the scorpion's tale i just nice. feel like i'm going on holiday watching that man <laughs> i feel like in london, then in greece it's like ah Pure comfort. Why do you think that's controversial? Are you saying that most people would choose the the uh, yeah, Miss I guess in Miss Ward or your vice yeah. locked door? Yeah, yeah. Scorpion tends to get overlooked for the most part, and yeah, I, I can see it. I mean, everyone finds that plane explosion at the beginning laughable. Which, if you've seen a lot of Jarlo films, that's not one of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the point, right? Like, I've been going recently through the H. G. Lewis catalog. Not that it's Jalo, but I just yeah. just in terms of kind of lower budget stuff, and I think at some point the brain just sort of adjusts to getting used to like lower budget productions, and it it's not as crazy to see some of the special effects that are done. You know, like it's not quite trauma level where there's like a head explosion that's a watermelon or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, mm -hmm. Even with like Jalo, I mean, in comparison, those Martino films were quite big budget. If you get to the, the bottom of the barrel giallo films where 
you can see like the film burning up and they just have to like cut away before the film just dissolved. Then, you know, like low budget filmmaking. Yeah, but it's more about the story and it's just kind of interesting like what people can do on these tiny budgets, right? Because there's some cool stories coming out there. Um, I saw this movie, are you familiar with this, this thing, uh, this archive here in the US called AGFA? Yeah, man, the American um, Film Genre Association. Yeah. Um, so they they put out this movie called Effects, and it's a movie that Tom Savini kind of was in as an actor, not as a, it's one of the few, I don't know, anyways. Uh, but but the premise is amazing. Like, it's basically, there's a horror movie, and then they pull out, and it's a horror movie, and you get to see it from the perspective of the filmmakers. So then there's kind of two levels, but then it pulls out even further, and then it's actually somebody who's uh, trying to make a snuff film without anybody knowing it. And so it's like there's kind of three levels in the movie as it's going, it cuts between these three different levels. And like, you know, it's probably made for 20,000 bucks. I mean, it looks cheap, but yeah. like if you think about what's going on on screen, you're like, hey, this is kind of amazing, actually. Like there's a lot, this is a lot of thought that went into this. Yeah, because that was back in the, um, the Pittsburgh days, right? So it was um, some of Romero's, uh, Romero's crew were involved with that also, I believe. Yeah. They probably they used to cut in their teeth on like zero money. I mean, you think back then they were shooting on film as well. So it's like, damn, how'd you get away with so much with like so little money? Yeah, there's no second takes, right? Like you kind of just like plan it out and like you go because you only have so much film to use. Exactly. And they also released uh, the McPherson tape, which is a a found footage movie, Mm -hmm. which again, that costs like 6,000 bucks to make. (laughs) It's like the the invention and the... just what they were doing back in the 80s. So it was like indie, indie filmmakers, the rural indie filmmakers. It blows my mind. Well, that, it's it's interesting because a lot of those movies, like you said, those 6,000 bucks, there's there's two movies that uh, that Cauldron put out this year, or last year, I guess now, uh, that were found footage films. And some of them are so incredibly low budget. It takes about 10 or 15 minutes to kind of sink in and just get used to this, this world that you're in. Uh, but once you get in, it's the same thing. Like there's a lot of thought that goes into these movies. And just because it's under that like found footage genre, it doesn't mean that it's a, a throwaway movie. Like there's usually they're, they're quite meticulous in the way these are constructed. They are. The McPherson tape was actually believed to be an actual UFO abduction tape when it was released back in like 88. Like you watch it and I was like, really? <laughs> you got like the big rubber, like alien heads, like gray Martian heads. They're massive. It's like, Damn, and there's there's an extra on there where they've got like this guy's like a UFO specialist. This is without doubt the most authentic UFO abduction tape I've ever seen. <laughs> like, oh, oh. <laughs> I even it's got amazing. news level, like news people were reporting that like, it was a real thing. Like, well, the, the uh, War of the Worlds, right? When when Orson Welles went on and read War of the Worlds, and people started panicking, thinking the world was ending. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's only a few people who can get away with that. So Orson Welles, Ruggiero kind of got away with it by everyone thinking he'd killed his actors in Cannibal Holocaust. And then Blair Witch. Blair Witch kind of did the same thing. Like, we killed our actors. And they both had, like, that deal where the actors had to disappear for, like, a year. So everyone's like, where have they gone? It's amazing. You can't do that ever again. (laughs) Yeah, it's getting tougher, too, nowadays. Yeah, there's too many people that... Yeah, it's getting. They're all on Facebook. <laughs> or on Twitter. <laughs> like, yeah, you're supposed to be dead, but you're still tweeting. Hmm. <laughs> Just the uh, the marketing company, I guess you could you could. Uh, but anyways, um, that's 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 cool. Uh, okay, so do you uh, do you collect Blu-ray and 4K now as well? Or are you into that oh, yeah. now? 
4K all day. Yep. 4K all day. <laughs> nice. Um, what's your? Do you have your collection uh, nice on display? Is it in boxes? How, how are you able to? Uh, what, what's the situation? Um, I'm in the process of moving home at the moment. So at the moment, sadly, they're all in boxes, except for my new acquisitions. I just littered everywhere. So I got the uh, recent vinegar syndrome one laying around here because I was watching this last night. Nice. Okay, <laughs> they're just everywhere. And most of the downstairs mm-hmm. in my missus' face because. She's uh, she doesn't have the appreciation for the physical media <laughs> that I do. Like, Why are you leaving these all around for? Art. <laughs> don't question me. You're, you're just putting color around the house. You're just making it, livening exactly. it up. Decorations. <laughs> I um yeah I had to so yeah when when the baby was born we had to figure out what to do because we don't have a ton of space. I mean we 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 try to live. We've always wanted to live downtown just to be close to things, which means that space is limited. So right now they're all double stacked. I've got about roughly around 4,800 titles and they're all double stacked and I'm kind of running out of space. So I'm trying to think of what to do now. I'm like, hey, can we build a little you know, shelf here? She, no, <laughs> I have to figure out. I build a man cave out the back. It'd be a big shelf. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, street level. Um, and are you, are you mostly collecting genre stuff? Like you, you mentioned Vinegar Syndrome, Severin. Uh, I think 101 is a big one, right? In Region B? Uh, yes, yeah, so I worked with them too. So I helped with the the AFGA uh, thing more recently. So 101 have that library now. Yeah. So yeah, uh, they're doing a fair bit. Fair dues to the guys there. They're putting the work in this year. It's going to be some impressive stuff coming. Uh, I guess you probably can't give any hit t- tips. As yes, that is. I, it's not my label. So yeah, I can't spill the tea. No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, I have to ask. Um, great. So, so you have 29 Palms coming out then. Uh, and is with COVID, uh, has there been any restrictions on the film festival? Or are you still doing that? Uh, so we did the film festival in December. We probably should have done it digital because Omnicron kicked in just as we were about to do it. Nah. So, yeah, probably, probably should have gone digital. Uh, this year, I might have to take a, a time out because I'm so busy. So with the, the label and documentaries and all the, the other Blu-rays, it might just be a, a gap year, I'm afraid. Sorry, Cardiff. For this one year, then we'll be back next year. See if you can find someone to, to run it for uh, uh, school credit or something. <laughs> yeah, <try laughs> so, intern somewhere. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, okay. Um, but you're, you're, last year you put out three releases. So is that kind of so what the, the goal you're trying to hit, like three to four releases a year? on mate yeah so it was tried to do one every quarter okay perfect so i'm already behind this year oh uh, it's okay there's plenty of time to make it up <laughs> yeah so i try and at the end of the year just like do three in one month there you go. Whew, yeah. i got it in vision. Um, 29 palms is going to be the korean gangster film friend are you familiar with that one uh maybe i'm trying to think was that one of the ones that screened at a festival uh, it came out in 2001, so it's one of the first sort of big Korean gangster films. So it set the, the templates and the blueprint for pretty much all the modern stuff you see now. Oh, it's a, yeah, 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 yeah. This is another one that I haven't thought about in years. I saw this in theatres, actually. Oh, amazing. Lucky bugger. I, had to, I bought it on BCD from a dodgy Chinese uh, travel agent here in Cardiff. <laughs> 
it was this crazy thing. I was I was living in Dallas at the time, and in in Dallas, I mean, it's a fairly big city, but nobody thinks of it as a film city. But they had 18 screens that only played foreign or independent cinema. Wow. And so they had an Asian film festival, and they they brought in all this stuff that was. Uh, I think it's the festival still going on, but um, yeah, this was one of the ones that I saw in that festival. That's cool. Yeah, man, uh, I love it. It's uh, one of those films that left a mark on me again. My formative years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that was exactly the time period where I was learning about so much. I learned about Takashi Miike right around that same time. Yeah, man, it was around yeah. the audition time and yeah. <laughs> agitator. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He kind of changed my life in a way because I, I, I was like, I left. Visitor Q was actually the one that I saw first because I can't remember what year that was. And I remember yeah, two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah, that would be that would that feels yeah. about right. And I just left that theater being like, I should have hated that movie, but I loved it so much. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, um, true. Because <laughs> I did I, the same thing with Gozu. I'd seen that on the big screen. Yes. Like, the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> but I like it. Yeah. I want to see more. Um, yeah. And I think Errol's done a pretty good job of releasing his stuff, but I'm hoping that more comes to the West because he's got, I don't know, like 100 films or something. But... Yeah, from like the last 10 years. And there's another like 200 <laughs> before that. That's true. Yeah, he's his own studio. Yeah, I, uh, I geeked out as I actually met Takeshi Miike at Sitges Film Festival a couple of years back. It was like proper like, Oh my God, it's Takeshi Miike. <laughs> How is his English? I think it's okay, right? Hey, it's okay, yeah. Wow, yeah, that would definitely be one of those dreams. It doesn't help when you're loud bar. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, okay, well, I mean, you know, look, uh, this is a, uh, what, what, a, what a great insight into, into you and the, how plugged in you are to, to the um, kind of film production culture community there and, and what you're doing with Fractured Visions. Uh, what am I not asking? What are the things you want to talk about that I'm not asking? Uh, not much, man. I'm, I'm an open book, man. Ask a question, I'll, I'll give you an answer. No, that's great. I mean, I this is a, you know, I want to bring attention to your label because there's, you know, uh, well, you know what, never mind. I, I was going to go, I don't want to disparage any labels. There's some labels that come out and you can tell that they're doing it to make money or to try to just turn around a profit. Sure. Uh, even in the boutique world, there's some ones that there's not a lot of, uh, of kind of care that comes into the releases. Um, and so I always want to try to highlight the ones where I, I can see that's not true. Um, oh, so I just, yeah. Oh, no, thank you. I mean, as a collector, thank you. Because it's there's certain packages that just look nice. I'm proud of on the shelf. And, and early on, yours is certainly right up there. Oh, thank you, man. And yeah, as I hopefully get a bit more money and it grows. Yeah, that's just only going to get better. Fingers crossed. This is like oh, what I can afford at the moment. So hopefully down the line, we can produce some really awesome stuff. And again, going back to that Anchor Bay sort of mentality of releases. Do you remember that with um, Sleepaway Camp when they did? Getting like the first aid kit? Like really like invent shit like that. I've, no, I love that. No, that, that's the thing. I mean, the, 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 you know, when you could sell 50,000 copies, you could get super creative on the packaging. Oh, yeah. um, and nobody really did it better than Anchor Bay, I don't think. Um, I'm so glad you called them out. Fantomo did some really cool releases. They were a small horror label. Do you remember them at all? I don't know. What they they had a they had a, um, a a coffin that they put out. It's like a very limited edition of the um, oh oh gosh 
it's embarrassing. Hold on one sec. Um, I'll think of the name here in a second. Yeah, those coffin was... sets were the bomb, man, because they did um, and they did a few of those, like the Tygon films, Pete Walker films, Norman J. Warren films. Yes. And do you remember yeah. Blue Underground did one for um, ah, those Spanish zombie films, the um, uh, like Blind, the Blind Dead. Yeah, yeah. That little cool little coffin set they did for those. They're awesome. Yeah. I've got that one, and then I've got the Fantoma one, which is a, a Portuguese director of kind of vampire films. I'm just his name is escaping me for a second. There's like four movies in this set, anyways. It, but th- I just think that those days, you know, you could you could do this, some some amazing stuff with packaging, and uh, and um, I, I, actually to that point, I'm my biggest blind spot is sort of classic Hollywood. I'm not really hugely interested in it, to be honest. Yeah, but, same. <laughs> Yeah, but I just kind of want to, like, I don't know, like, I've never seen Singing in the Rain. Like, there's just some of these that I feel like, I don't know, you should probably see. So, cultural significance? Yeah, I guess so. Just sort of like, you know, you're in a conversation, and I can talk all day about, like, the four house movies, but I can't talk about, you know, like... West Side Story. Hmm, What's that? Yeah, no, exactly. So, (laughs) Warner Brothers put out, it was about 10 years, uh, maybe 12 years ago now or something, but they put out 100 movies in one set. Okay. And it's like a hundred years or you know, whatever for them. That's oh, why they yes. Did and they did it with um, Clint Eastwood as well, right? They just did a massive set of his films. They have a big one with Clint Eastwood, yeah. Uh, and then this one behind me here, if you can see oh wait, other way. Yeah, the one for the clock. Yeah. And yeah, so, man. you know, some of these old DVD companies, they were able to to do that. Um, and I'm I'm trying to slowly go through some of this stuff just to uh, kind of learn my, my curiosity. But anyways, my point is back in the day you could get away with that. And I feel like on some level. Uh, it, it's happening again, although the quantities are a lot smaller. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Arrow are doing such a good job as well as like Second Sight do a great job, but Arrow have been really kicking ass in that sort of limited edition space. And Criterion as well, like like Godzilla box set is absolutely phenomenal. You know, it's the biggest and thing I've ever seen. Credit where credit's to Like the Gamera yeah, set that Arrow put out, Beast. Gamera was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and you know, People kind of want to, it's easy to kind of dog on Criterion for being stuffy or old fashioned or whatever. But I mean, that Satoichi set, nobody could have done that better. Yeah. Or the Bruce Lee set. Bruce Lee set. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> I, I've been super impressed with them when they, for their box sets is kind of primarily how I buy from them now, but they, they put a ton of care into that. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So um, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Credit, credit where it's due. Um, so are you saying that as, as the money, as the, uh, as fractured visions kind of matures and as there's more products coming out you want to get into those crazy release boxes and stuff oh for sure yeah like the good dream would just be to do something some outlandish like a godfrey ho like box set like no one else is going to do it so it's gonna to have to be me or dick randall like box set something like that oh wow yes please Okay, then I'll, yeah, I'll have to make sure. So, and the quickest way for you to get there is that people buy directly from your online store, right? That's right, yeah, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> okay, so everybody buy from, from fracviz.co.uk. Please. Um, great, no, look, thank you so much um, uh, for, for coming on. I, I mean, I, I just wanted this as an intro to the label. If it's okay, I'll put this on Reddit and, uh, and let people, you know, just uh, kind of do a thing where I, put like the timestamps of, of topics that we talk about and, and it draws people over to the podcast and, and just hear, you know, hear from you Beautiful. directly. So. No, thank you, Chris. It's uh, been a pleasure, man. Yeah. It was good to speak no, to her. Yeah. Uh, who, who said it? Ah, oh, fuck. Two seconds. It was, um, 
a fellow film nerd. Have you seen um, documentary about Wen Wen? No, I haven't, but I want to. Oh, there's in the search for Wen Wen. Check it out. It's um, Andrew Levold. He uh, he said something that was really endearing, and I've always remembered it. He's like, when you get together with someone like ourselves, you you're nerds of a feather, and it is like so true. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. It's stuck with me. So pass it on. That, that's going to be the, the title of this episode, I think, if it's okay. <laughs> thanks, Andrew. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Well, thanks again, Phil. No worries, Chris. You take care.